Good morning, LCM. Today is October 27th, 2019. The title of today's message is 12 Foundations. Come on, say it with me. Say 12 Foundations. Of course, this relates to our message from Wednesday night that was called Signed, Sealed, and Delivered, which covered the 12 gates of the new city that helped determine your identity in Christ. Remember that you are granted Christ's identity and that you graduate in it as you go through the gates of this uh, celestial city. How many of you made cards on that subject? Wow. Anybody hang these up in your house somewhere? Okay, I want to encourage you to hang them on the north, south, west, and east wall of your house. Because the next time we are sitting in your home, we're simply going to point to the identity that you have in Christ when in speech or action or inward thought, you deviate from it. We're going to run through these with you fairly quickly again because Romans 8.14 literally teaches us that you are a son. You were granted sonship. You graduate in that sonship when you walk through the gates of the kingdom that is coming upon the world. Come on, somebody say, I am a son. In Ephesians 3 and verse 6, we found out that we are co-heirs with Israel into the promises that God has given. See, we've been granted a status as a co-heir with his chosen people. We will graduate in it as we continue to go through this gate. You have been granted a seat in the heavenly realms. You graduate, you grow into that seat, and you will have arrived in it in its fullest sense when you walk through the gates of the kingdom. Ephesians 2, 6 teaches us this. Church, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 teaches us this very explicitly. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've been granted that. You've been given that. You will graduate that as you continue to go in the gates of identity that God is laying before us. You have been granted fullness in Christ. Complete satisfaction. Total, you don't lack anything. You have been granted that. You graduate into it as you go through the gates of the kingdom. The whole idea here is that you need nothing outside of Christ. That has been granted to you. But you are graduating into it as you go into the kingdom. And church, if you're sitting back right now, If you're leaning backwards in your heart right now, just kind of listening to this, taking it in. Yes, pastors, you just said this on Wednesday night. What you should be doing is pressing in and understanding that these are the defining characteristics of your life. That you have been granted to be clothed in Christ. You are clothed with Christ in your entire life. That you will be graduated into this as you continue to walk and develop and go in this gate of identity. We're not asking you to mentally ascend to this fact. Yes, I am clothed with Christ. We are trying to remind you that this is what you are. You are clothed with Christ today. I'm not denying that there's more than one nature in you. But what I am saying is that the scripture says clearly... You are a participator in the divine nature of God. This is something that has been granted to you. You didn't earn it. God gives you His nature. And you grow into it. You graduate into it as you walk in the kingdom, as you go through the gates. Saints, how precious is the divine nature of Christ that is inside of you. 
We have to choose to live in that nature. Pastor, that's worth everything. Look at the next one that we studied on Wednesday night, that you are strengthened with all power. Come on, y'all say that last line on the screen with me. You are strengthened with all power. That should impact everything that you think, everything that you put your hand to, everywhere that you go, everything that you do, because you are strengthened. It has been granted to you all the powers of the heavens that they are with you. You will graduate into this as you continue to go through these gates of identity. The dream job in the U.S. political world is that you are an ambassador to the U.N. I'm talking Adley Stevenson, maybe Nikki Haley, anybody except John Bolton. And the thing is, you have been granted an ambassadorship that is greater than that. You're an ambassador of God, according to 2 Corinthians 5.20. And you speak the very words of God. That was given to you. It's just granted to you. And you have to graduate into it. You actually reach all of its fullness as you walk in the kingdom. Church, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, we learn that you are the dwelling place of God Almighty. If you still think that you're going to come to church, I'm going to go to church today. Yeah, the word instructs you that you are the temple of the Lord. You are where he dwells and makes his will manifest on this earth. You've been granted that. It's been given to you that you have been the dwelling place of God. You will graduate into that. You will see it grow in your life and be fulfilled as you go through this identity gate. You are a holy, say holy, holy, and royal, say royal, royal priest that cures All self-esteem problems. That immediately fixes depression. No matter what, if you believe this scripture, it will affect your behavior. This is your identity in Christ. You're not just the temple of God, meaning that He lives in you. You're also the one that ministers inside the temple and outside the temple. You're of holy lineage and you're of royal lineage. Do you know why? Because it was granted to you. And now we graduate in it as we go into the kingdom. And our final of the 12 gates that we talked to you about, identity gates that we went over on Wednesday night, is that you are God's inheritance. Now, boy, that these 12 things will fix so many things in your theology. We're not even worried about the inheritance that you will receive. We are saying you are the inheritance itself. What God is looking forward to, His inheritance, is His will being made manifest in our lives. See, you've been granted that you are God's inheritance. You will continue to graduate into that as you go in these gates of identity that we laid out on Wednesday night. I want to take a brief moment before we get into our text and remind you of Hebrews 13, 7, and 8. If we could put those on the screen. There are some things that we're going to share today that there is a many opinions about as there are people in this room. And yet the scripture says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider something, the outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith. Before we go to verse 8, I'm asking you to consider what you know about the Stevens and the Sutherlands. There may be different ways to look at some of the scriptures that we're going to share today. Undoubtedly, there is with every scripture in the Bible. And if what you do is immediately turn it to the facet that you're familiar with, then you learn nothing. 
If what you do is immediately defend the one revelation that you think you have, then you learn nothing. The scripture does not tell you to walk into the congregation of the saints, look at your leaders and presume that you already know and therefore do not need to be taught. In fact, you're supposed to consider our character, uh, the outcome of our way of life. Everything that we're sharing with you today It's not because there's a theological pointed sword. It's because it has an effect on your character. It has an effect on the way that you live. It will have an effect on the way that you see promises God has given to you. Secondly, let's put Matthew 13, 52 on the screen. By the way, Hebrews 13, 8 said Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means he did not change His view of how you look at leaders or how disciples create disciples or that the point is the way of life. He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a hay in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. For you to know if you have received new treasure you will have to master old treasure. There is no way for you to appraise the value of something that you just believe that you received in this moment. You have to have something to compare it with, something to know if it's authentic. Today, we will be discussing old treasure that all new revelations should be judged by. Let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 21. To turn to the last book in the Bible to discuss old treasure ought to tell you something about the unchanging nature of God's revelation. Are you in Revelation 21? There. Now find the uh, 12th verse. Which verse? Which verse? It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. Hey, Pastor, is that why you're asking us to put our 12 gates of identity in our homes so that we're even in the small things trying to match what the scripture says? Yes, that is exactly why. The other reason is... I sometimes think it's more powerful just to point to what you've already been told than to say it again. So I would like you to have them on the walls of your house. Verse 14. The wall of the city had 12 foundations. foundations, And on them were written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. This is incredible, church. We are looking at the culmination. You're in Revelation 21. We're almost at the end of the Holy Scripture that has been given to mankind. And what are we looking at? We're looking at a culmination of everything that He has ever done. And it starts with the 12 tribes of Israel. See, we're trying to build upon this 12-layered foundation. A singular foundation with 12 layers of formation upon it. See, 1 Corinthians describes it as a single foundation. Turn with us to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and find verse 10. Somebody say 12 when you get there. Wow, that was fast, Gabriel. Amen. 1 Corinthians 3.10 By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. 
but each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid. Somebody say Older Testament. Older Testament. The foundation that Paul built upon is the revelation of the Tanakh. Listen to him saying this again. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. But wait a minute. I thought you said it was the Tanakh. Jesus Christ is the living Torah of God. When you wanted to see what the 39 books of the Older Testament looked like, Jesus is the motion picture of what the Torah lived out looks like. The foundation that Paul laid is the Tanakh as displayed by Jesus, not as amended by or abrogated by, as put on its right footing in Jesus Christ. It's the only foundation that can be laid. The aim of our message today will be because we're experiencing prosperity, because we're seeing success, because we're starting to live in victory, and we're seeing encouragement all around us, we want to take the time to reinforce the proper foundation in this room. See, church, this is not about your intention to build on the singular foundation. Well, pastor, I thought that I was. Yeah, but we've got to keep going back to this blueprint that the Lord has given us to make sure that we align Perfectly. Somebody say perfectly. Perfectly. You can't get close in this one. You can't, you can't just approximate what you think that the actual foundation might have been one day in the past. See, today, everybody say today. Today. We're going to be sweeping away, redefining the rubble, the rubbish, any replacements away from what your foundation must be aligned to. When you're thinking through that, don't think just some group of people called replacement theologians. Think about anywhere in your life you have replaced what the text says with an easier to believe version. Think about any promise that you were given that you've modified because it looks like it's just too difficult to come about. Think about every way in which we have allowed the garbage in front of us to, to muddy the waters or to declarify the promises God has spoken to us. The foundation of all of God's working starts with the formation of his people, Israel. See, in all of the Bible itself leads up to Genesis 12. And Genesis the what? Genesis 12. 12. And the rest of it, the rest of the entirety of the Bible is building upon the foundation of the 12. When we say 12... Certainly, you think of 12 apostles. Certainly, you think of 12 a lot of things. But you must go back to the beginning and think through why God gave and instituted the number 12. We're going to run through 12 things that are newer testament that point to an older testament truth. They're just kind of revelation bombs that you will have to grab hold of. The first one, in Matthew 19, 28. There are 12 Jewish apostles sitting on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. Nothing changed from Genesis 12 all the way through Matthew. 12 is repeated again and again and again because it is God's government as defined by Israel. In Mark chapter 8 and verse 19, we find that there are 12 basketfuls that were multiplied, that were distributed by 12 Jewish apostles feeding the 12 tribes of Israel that have run to their very Jewish king. 
See, nothing has changed. Not in the book of Mark, not in Matthew, as Pastor mentioned. Nothing has changed since Genesis 12. The 12 tribes have always had their issues. The leaders of the 12 tribes have definitely had their problems. But we need to remember that it was a Jewish synagogue ruler's daughter who was raised from the dead. Anybody want to guess what year of her life she was in? The 12th year. See, nothing has changed since Genesis 12. God is completely committed to solving all of Israel's problems. Think about the woman with the issue of blood. By the way, what kind of woman was she? She was a Jewish woman that had an issue of blood. Do you know how long the scripture says that she had been suffering from this ailment? 12 years. See, nothing has changed since Genesis 12. God is completely committed to solving all of Israel's problem down to each individual person. But pastor, pastor, the Newer Testament, the Newer Testament. Let's talk Newer Testament, spirit-filled Jewish Stephen. He numbers the patriarchs for us. How many patriarchs are there? Well, there's Abraham, there's Isaac, there's Jacob. No, no, no. Acts 7 and verse 8 says there are 12 patriarchs. Nothing has changed since Genesis 12. The foundation of God's government and of God's plan has and always will relate to the 12 tribes. He didn't jump horses somewhere in the middle of the plan. Consider those Jews who were baptized by John the Immerser. The Jewish rabbi, the Jewish apostle Paul taught about baptism in the Holy Spirit in Acts 19. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and they even prophesied. Can you imagine, just for a second, how many men in all were in this event? There were 12 Talmudim that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this encounter. Church, nothing has changed. Not one thing has changed since Genesis 12. Surely in this repetition, the Holy Spirit is trying to drive home a point. The foundational element of God's dealing always begins with Israel. When you begin to think about God's government on earth, it is always reflective of God's government in the heavens. It is our job as believers to bring heaven to earth through our daily actions. God's foundation was laid in the 12 tribes. And even the heavens are organized in the same way. Since the tribes are reflective of something in the heavens, the tribes give us a prototype for what the heavens look like. In fact, how many legions of angels did Jesus have at his disposal in Matthew 26, 53? He had 12 legions at his disposal. Nothing's changed. <laughs> Church, we could go on like this forever, but we're going to actually uh, stop with 12 examples. Think about the New Testament book of James. It was written. Look at James 1, 1, and you'll see that it's written to the 12 tribes scattered throughout this region. Pastor, how did they identify the 12 tribes? I mean, how can you know what a Jew is anyway? Well, I tell you, Hitler had no problem defining them. Spain had no problem defining them in 1492 when they threw them out. In fact, when it comes to persecution, nobody ever has a problem finding out who is a Jew. It's only when you find out they won the spiritual lottery and God is going to save them that we're like, who's a Jew? You know, it's funny, if you have a losing ticket, we can define it. But if you have a winning ticket, it's like, oh, who can read the numbers? Who could, who could know? Hey, by the way, there are 12 angels at the 12 gates in Revelation 21. You know, in Revelation 7, actually, Pastor, there's 144,000, which is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. That's not to say that there aren't more Gentiles who could be included and sealed in this. But it's proof that the foundational elements 
never changed once established in Genesis 12. Pastor, how many stars are on that woman's head? In, in, uh, you mean the ones in Revelation 12? Oh, in Revelation 12, there were 12 stars on her in head? In Revelation 12, there was 12 stars. Oh my goodness. And those 12 gates, we already said, were occupied by 12 angels. How does the book of Revelation end, Pastor? In Revelation 22, there are 12 crops that give and produce their fruit over 12 months. Well, good thing that 12 is a number associated with Norway, right? Oh, it's not? There were 12 tribes. Why is this kind of repetition in the Bible? It's inescapable that what God started in Genesis 12 became 12 foundations of God's plan that would never be amended, abrogated, or abolished. But through a mystery, it was appended. An appendix was added. One of the problems with the church today is we have uh, had an appendectomy. See, the thing is, is you get to be included in something that God started before you. Something that he never gave up on. Something that he said would be and always will be. And you are an appendix to an existing book that makes a beautiful whole, but it also does not erase the book before it. You get to be included in something that started before you. Church, this is a precious revelation. Somebody say it's precious. The idea that you can see it throughout the entirety of the scripture. What we're doing today is reminding you to clear away the rubble, the rubbish, the replacement, the redefining of what is around your foundation because it can only be one foundation. See, that what pastor is talking about, it was hinted at when the 12 tribes came out of Egypt in Exodus and foreigners were joined with them upon the Exodus. You know, it was hinted at in the prophets when Rahab joined the 12 tribes. She became part of the lineage of the king of the 12 tribes. This was hinted at when Ruth, a Moabitess. 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 I can't spell it, but I can say it. (laughs) When Ruth contributed to the lineage of the Jewish king of the 12 tribes. I want you to think, since we just did law, prophets, and writings, Newer Testament law, prophets, and writings. So think about the gospel stories. It's hinted at when the angel announced to Mary in the gospel of Luke that Jesus would have the throne of his father David who ruled over the 12 tribes and that his kingdom would be a never-ending kingdom. But also, it didn't end there. The very same angel also said to shepherds in a field that there would be peace on earth to men of goodwill and no nationality was assigned to it. The foundation is that he rules over the 12 tribes. The appendix, the Gentile appendix, is that men of goodwill can experience their shalom. Since we've been in Revelation so much, consider that this is also hinted at when the 12 12 tribes are named in Revelation 7. But every tribe, every tongue, every language, and every nation are represented at his very throne. What we've been hinting at is explicitly said in the New Testament Uh-oh. writings. You might need an explicit lyric warning here. Or an explicit Gentile warning. <laughs> if you've been doing this wrong, it'll hurt your feelings. Let's get to Ephesians 3.6. Everybody there? One's there loudly. Where are the rest of you silently? Ephesians 3, 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together. Somebody say together. Together. 
with Israel. That's with and not without. Together with Israel. Members together. Say it with me again. Members together, together of one body. Sharers together. together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Church, we are a predominantly Gentile congregation. And we have to work to understand the foundational promises given to Israel. That we are heirs together with them in. See, we are with and not without Israel. We share together in their promises. One of the first life-changing scriptures I ever read. And I had no idea it was not written to me. I had to learn that I was included in it later. You know, when you're first born again, when you're a child, everything is about you. But as you grow up, you find out how much God is interested in the whole world. He just starts somewhere. Let's go to Exodus 15 together. When you get to Exodus 15, say, I'm there. Hey, what's one more than 12? Amen. Let's go to Exodus 15, 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people, which clearly is the Vietnamese population of the Middle East. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Well, how did you identify them? Did we have an Ancestry.com? Did we have a way to do DNA testing? Notice that he has no problem identifying them. It's only when we're talking about something good that suddenly we don't know how to identify them. If we were talking about somebody being punished in this verse, then it would clearly be those Jews. See, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. See, church, the God of all creation promised unfailing love to them. Who is them? Israel. His 12 tribes that he has chosen. And now, the great news, the mysterious part is, is, is that we share in that with them. See, he promised to lead them. That is a promise written in the word. Every bit as good as John 3.16. And he promised to lead them, Israel. We now share in that promise with them. See, he promised to redeem them, the 12 tribes of Israel. And we now share in that with them, Israel. Think about how the passage ends. He promised to guide them to the holy dwelling. Very much like the holy dwelling described in Revelation 21 and 22. He promised to guide them to the holy dwelling. Now we get to share in that promise, but with them and not without them. Church, are you getting our subtle point that we're trying to make to you today? This is a foundational promise to Israel that we now get to share with them. This makes all the difference in the world in your theology. If you have somehow inverted the entirety of Scripture and you started with the Newer Testament and try to faintly refer back to the older, then you miss the importance. Ah, oh, but pastor, what Jesus did on the cross is so important. You don't understand the importance of it unless you've begun with the beginning of the story as God intended. Any of you got a relative that you're worried about? Like they started well in the faith and they're not doing well? You can point to them if they're in the... I'm kidding. <laughs> It's very difficult. It hurts. In fact, you start to wonder whether the things that were said to them and about them are even possible now. 
That's exactly what it's like with the first people that God adopted. He adopted them and they became the target of the world's animosity to this day because of that adoption. And many times they haven't done well because they've been targeted by the world and they have the same kind of wicked hearts that you have. And yet God's promise is true. Why is that so important? Well, if it's not true for them, the first people that he said it about, then it's also not true for a Nigerian over there or a Louisianan over there, which is even harder than the Nigerian, or somebody from the Congo or somebody from Norway or somebody from anywhere in the world. It cannot be true for you if it is not true for them. And if you spiritualize this to the place where we don't know who anybody is because we're all mixed, then you destroy every single promise in the Bible. Let me assure you that God knows which family of people you belong to. Let's see how this continues to work through Scripture. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 54 and let's look at verse 16. Isaiah 54 and verse 16. Man, I can feel our foundations getting right today. I can feel the rubble and the rubbish getting moved away from the righteous foundation that God has for us. Let's look at verse 16. It says this, see, it is I who created the blacksmith. This is God himself speaking to his people who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. And it is I who have created the destroyer to work havoc. When you hear the word blacksmith, the original word here is more like a craftsman. It wasn't a metal worker only. It's translated this way because clearly the context is metal. You should think a craftsman, an expert builder. God is laying the only foundation that can be laid in his people and he's using adversity to do it. See, the God of the Jews knew what it would take to form Israel in the fiery forge of adversity to produce maximum glory for his namesake. What we have failed to understand because our emphasis has been on the wrong thing is that if Israel is and always has been a weapon in the hand of God and he is going to defeat his enemies with Israel, the prince with God. Let's look at the rest of this promise in the next verse. No weapon forged against you will prevail. Now, pastor, uh, he kind of jokes around about the verses that are quilted on your pillows at the house. Somebody quoted this during our worship service today. <laughs> no weapon formed against us will, will prevail. Who is the no weapon formed against you will prevail? Who was this said to? Wait a minute. Now, this is one of the scriptures that I grew up, that our, our family grew up quoting in our house. And we took this very, very personally. But what we didn't understand was that this was first spoken to a specific group of people. No weapon formed against you, Israel, will prevail. And you, Israel, will refute every tongue that accuses you, Israel. That this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. Who is the there in this passage? Israel. Israel must prevail. They must, because God said they would prevail. Israel doesn't prevail if a tiny fraction of Israel comes to Messiah in the first century, and that's all there is. For Israel to prevail, everything in verse 17 has to be true. Now, here's the cool thing. Israel must prevail, and you get to share 
in this promise with them. You are a sharer together with them. See, Israel is the servant of the Lord being referenced here. But you get to share in that promise with them. Israel must be vindicated. Somebody say vindicated. Vindicated. I don't care what your thoughts are on what has and has not happened with Israel. It's very difficult for you to twist anything into Israel stands vindicated before the world today. They they are hated all over the world. They are hated in the United Nations. Israel must be vindicated from slander, from lies, even from their own backsliding. For no other reason than God said so. And church, the beautiful part of this is that you and I get to share in this powerful vindication from the Lord. Let's turn to Psalm chapter uh, 130. Psalm 130. See, it's not even like the scriptures are hinting at these things. It is boldly declaring it, but you're going to get blown away by Psalm 130. If you're thinking, wow, they're talking a lot about Israel. Yes, that's all the Bible talks about. If you've missed that, you've been asleep for most of Christianity. But everything that he says about Israel, you are a sharer in. Now, what that means for you is that if God has said something to you and you do not feel like it's come about and people are spitting on you and you are persecuted everywhere you go, you can know for sure that God will vindicate you because He promised it to them and you are a sharer in that promise with them. Oh man, that's better than you're acting like it is. We have skipped the first step. We've acted like it was said to us. It wasn't. And it has to be done for the first people it was said to for it to be true of the second one by association. You only share together with Israel. You never share together in place of Israel. You never share uh, as a redefined Israel. Israel means Israel everywhere in the Bible. The mystery is that there was a Gentile appendix to Israel. Church, what pastors just saying is not only going to fix your theology... It's going to fix how you walk this out every day. See, we started off with 12 gates. You are this. You are sons. You are co-heirs. And everybody's going, yeah, that's good. And then we go out and we do not walk like we're sons of God. We go out like our problems are far too big for God to handle. I mean, he might handle it for somebody else, but he won't do it for us. Do you mean to tell me that people can be adopted by God? They can have an extraordinary like Passover experience, and then not walk rightly with God? Well, clearly he gives up on them. Clearly he replaces them with Muslims. Clearly he replaces them with Mormons. Clearly he replaces them with the Jehovah's Witness. Is that true? You know what lends to those kind of thoughts? Thinking that the first people that came out of Passover were replaced by you. We're trying to help you to not have more in alignment with your theology with the Muslims and the Mormons than you do with the holy book that God has given us. See, we're helping you today. Let's look at Psalm chapter 130 and verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. This very psalm that we're reading is a psalm of ascent. It was sung three times a year as Jews ascended to Jerusalem. They sang it at every regalia feast, the latest of which was Sukkot. This cry right here was sung three times a year by the 12 tribes. 
If the Lord doesn't hear their cries, how can he hear your cries? If they have been so far to be removed from his presence, how can you? You think that we're better than what they did? You think that by by some mere chance that we've achieved more than they did? If, but, he, if he won't hear their cries, how can he hear our cries? But if he shows them mercy, and you share in that mercy. Look, I got some relatives dying right now. And I'm just, I'm being completely honest. I, I've, I've buried enough of my relatives that miss the kingdom of God. I, I was biting my nails. I, I'm thinking this, I just don't know if anything good is even possible here. And I'm watching God do a supernatural work. I'm watching something that, that I had lost faith in come back to life. Never count out what the living God can do. If He is merciful to them, then you can know that He will be merciful to you who share in their mercy. But the idea that He's merciful to you and that He's harsh and judgmental towards them makes God out to be a schizophrenic. Let's look at verse 3. This entire psalm just kind of crescendos here. We're, get, we're getting more. I, this, every passage I find to be a little bit more my favorite than the passage we just read. Listen to this. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore you are feared. If God, the God of Israel, kept a record of Israel's sins. See, that's the context. If the God of Israel kept a record of Israel's sins, then no Israeli anywhere could stand. Now, I want you to understand that he doesn't do that. And because he doesn't keep a record of Israel's sins, he doesn't keep a record of yours. If you're adopted into the family, if you will walk in repentance, God is able to do that. He made this promise to Israel, and if it is not true to Israel then it cannot be true to you. How many of you are ready to stand up and say, hey, I want you to keep a record of my sins? Then how dare we say that he's keeping a record of theirs? So if you've ever heard, said, or thought a phrase like, you know, the reason that Israel is in so much trouble around the world is because they killed the Messiah. How is that not you asking God to keep a record of their sins? See, you don't want that. I promise that you don't want that. There's not a man or a woman in this room that actually wants the Lord to keep a record because He doesn't keep a record of theirs and He doesn't keep a record of yours because you share in the same promise that He's given them. Let's have a giant Twitter-like Donald Trump moment. It is Israel's God that forgives them. And you get to share in that forgiveness With them. We're going to show you this as we go. If he doesn't forgive them, you can't count on forgiveness because you are shares together with them. Yeah, in verse 4, on the screen you have a little bit of a comic book version of this. But with you there is forgiveness. Yes, we've been talking about so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Well, I I think that's a pretty sissified version. That's sissy sauce. (laughs) Sissy sauce right there. The end of the phrase is, therefore, you are feared. 
you are feared. Now, wait, I, Pastor, I thought we were talking about forgiveness and not holding our sins, our past sins against us. <laughs> Why does that cause God to be feared? If he is forgiving, if he doesn't keep a record of sin, maybe it's because he's the only one that can forgive. And if he is the only one that can forgive, see, you can't go find Dagon and have him forgive your sins. See, you can't go find Molech or any other god of the Amorites or any of those other people. Oh, or even our gods that we serve here in this country. You mean the Super Bowl can't forgive me? Super Bowl can't forgive you. Your idolatry towards athletics or money or whatever it is, those things cannot forgive you. This causes us to fear the God of Israel. If the God of Israel is the only God that can forgive and you get to share with them in that forgiveness, how grateful would you be? How conceited is it to say, now that I have forgiveness, screw the original heirs. Let's pick up in verse 5. I wait for the Lord. By the way, I here is an Israeli man. I, a member of the 12 tribes, wait for the Lord. My soul, my Jewish soul, waits. And in His Word, the God of Israel's Word, I put my hope. My Jewish soul waits for the Lord. More than a watchman waits for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. I, a member of the 12 tribes, wait for the Lord. And the God of Israel's Word, that is where I put my hope. That is what this psalm is teaching us. See, you and I share with Israel in this promise. We're not saying that it doesn't apply to you. We're just saying it doesn't apply to you first. And it doesn't exclude them from this. If they cannot have it, then we don't have it. We cannot have this promise without Israel. He promised to redeem them. Them being Israel. He promised to vindicate them, the 12 tribes. He promised to lead them to the holy dwelling. You weren't even appended to the book yet. When he made these promises to them. How can we have this without them if it is their promise? I love what Pastor just said. The man saying, my soul waits. Yeah, that's a very Jewish soul. It's a Jewish man that's saying those words. Yeah, I hate to think what our ancestors were doing at this time. I'm pretty sure that mine were worshiping goats or something. Look at how these verses uh, 6 end. More than a watchman waiting for the morning. Picture this for a second. It's Hebrew imagery. You're a watchman watching through the night, waiting for morning, when your shift is over, when your hard service is over. See, the 12 tribes, their night will soon be over. They're going to look upon the one they pierced, and he's going to be blazing like the shining sun. By the way, a Jewish prophet named Zechariah said that this would happen. You want to guess which chapter? 12. Yeah. Let's look at verse 7. O Israel. Who? Oh, Israel. See, lest you think that your pastors are trying to just uh, belabor a point or pull something that's not actually in Scripture. We're just showing you, to, we're showing you how to clear the rubble away so that you can see it. Oh, Israel. How can you know, Pastor, that that's not the Inuit peoples of the northern slope of Alaska? <laughs> because the Word of God says that it's Israel. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with Him is... Partial, just a little bit of redemption, maybe. Full redemption. He himself. Now, what is it like for God to say, I myself will redeem Israel? See, he's not assigned that to someone else. He's saying, you know what? This isn't important enough of a job. 
that me, as the creator of all the universe, I will redeem Israel from some of their sins that they maybe have once done. From all of their sins. Church, we are talking about Israel here. There is no other way to take these passages of Scripture. When you consider this passage, O Lord, put your hope, O Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Clearly, he's not talking about some nation other than Israel. I mean, this is written in the Psalms. There is no idea that there's some spiritual Israel, some mythical entity that is made up of every nation in the world. He is clearly speaking to those that are in the geographical borders of Israel that came from Jewish wombs and the very few Gentiles that were adopted into Israel, of which there were some. It was hinting at a future. But that's who he's talking about. And he says, and with him is full redemption. How important is it to you to be fully redeemed? See, well, he saved a few of them. That's not what the promise is. The promise is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel, the nation, from all their sins. That's huge. Their hope was not in their performance. It was in his unfailing love. Israel's hope is not in perfect performance any more than yours is. It's based on his unfailing love. And if their performance got them as a nation X'd out and you somehow replaced them because of the pristine nature of your circumcised heart, what happens when you sin now? See, the point is, is a promise made from God based on His unfailing love is not based on your performance. It's based on His ability to perform what He promised. Church, this should not be reinterpreted or redefined to mean that someone, somewhere else, some other people than the people that were actually singing these songs in their own land three times a year for each of the regalia feasts every year as they went up to You cannot redefine what the Lord has clearly said because if you can, what does that mean for your own relationship with Him? Take this out of the theological realm for a minute. How can you know that anything said in the Bible is true for you if this is not true for them? Say unfailing love. Unfailing love. Say full redemption. Full redemption. Redeemed from all their sins. All their sins. This, this sounds like Christian theology. It's not. The foundation of everything that we have is Israeli. All we're doing is being appended to something that God has never abandoned and never will abandon. That's, that's huge. Do you want full redemption? Do you know that you will be saved from all of your sins? Is your hope in his unfailing love? See, you are a sharer together with them in these promises and you cannot have it without them. Let's recap some of what we learned. Is that okay? We learned from Exodus 15 that all Israel will be redeemed and you get to share that with them. That's why Paul says in Romans eleven fifteen, for if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their Israel's acceptance be but life from the dead? See, what we learned from Isaiah 54 was that all Israel will be vindicated and you along with them. Paul continues in Romans 11 in verse 25. Listen to this. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. 
brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Come on, somebody turn to your neighbor and say, don't be conceited. Don't be conceited. Do you realize that the word is saying that if you don't understand this mystery, the way that the scripture clearly lays it out, you are being conceited. No matter what you think about your own heart, you are actually being conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. In other words, the same thing that Psalm 130 just said. As it is written, the deliverer will come from New York City. That's ridiculous. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn away godlessness away from Jacob. This is Romans 11. A pinnacle that most people think that Romans is maybe the most theologically beautiful work that has been written. And in Romans 11, he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. We learned in Psalm 130 that Israel will have all their sins forgiven. And you with them which ought to make you overwhelmingly glad to hear what Paul says in Romans eleven twenty nine, For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable. See, that's, that's everything. That, that is not a statement about because you speak in tongues, you'll always be able to speak in tongues. That is a statement about the national destiny of Israel. His gifts and His call to Israel are irrevocable. And therefore, since you share with them, they're not revocable for you either. Today, church, we're clearing away any redefining that you've been doing. The rubbish, the refuse, the rubble. And the replacement ideas as we focus on the 12 foundations that we are to be building upon. As Gentiles who are being led by the Spirit to do the very things required by the law, we want to start to focus you in on what we are building on top of this Israeli foundation. To get there, let's look at Ephesians 2. Based on what you've learned, we want to read Ephesians 2.19, properly interpreting the pronouns. Consequently, in other words, based on the 12 foundations we've been talking to you about for 50 minutes now. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners. So those of us that have goat-worshipping ancestors, that's not who we are anymore. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. You, Gentiles, are now fellow citizens with who? See, you don't have any problem identifying them, though. God's people here are Israel, and you are not Israel, and you get included with God's people. And members of God's household. It didn't start with you. It started with Israel. You are the Gentile appendix to God's house. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation, on the Israeli foundation of the Jewish apostles and Hebrew prophets. Are you following me? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. They were Jewish and Hebrew. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. By the way, what they hang over Jesus' head... King of the Jews. Jews. Let's read it again. Built on the Israeli foundation of the Jewish apostles and the Hebrew prophets with Christ Jesus, the King of them Jews, 
himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the king of the Jews, the whole building, whether Jew or Gentile, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, and in him, you too, you goat-worshipping Gentiles, yes, you, are being built together with Israel. See, the together here refers to what existed before you. Being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Church, we want to talk to you for just a minute about how God has been leading us. The LCM Gentiles and the one battle Jew. On some days there's more. It just, well, it just depends. We haven't offended Him yet. We, <laughs> some, some were with us. Until they weren't with us and sometimes they're with us. As long as we don't preach to you, you're happy to stay here. If we preach to you, then find somewhere else to go where they don't preach to you. Uh, it's, look, we love you because you're here. There's one battle Jew here today. And if any still had faith, there'd be far more. Of course, the whole room would be full of Gentiles. That they would. It turns out that people don't actually like to apply the scripture to themselves. It's much easier to go, this, this judgment... It's for them. Them people over there. The original heirs. It's, it's got to be for them. It couldn't be for me, the one that should just be thankful to be somewhere in the house. Come on, we want to talk to you about the 12 layers of foundation that the Lord has been laying here at LCM over the last 12 months. We're going to rattle through some slides here because we actually have uh, some pretty important things to yet get, get, get to. Our foundation number one was from last November. Nehemiah 3.16, beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Azbuk, ruler of the half district of Beth Zur, made repairs up to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and the house of the heroes. See, last November, after our one association, we began to talk about how to build God's house rightly. We are building a house of heroes through discipleship, according to the same foundational reference points that God has always used, namely Israel. Let's go to the second level of the singular foundation that God is laying here. The second level was in December of 2018. One of the chief passages that we were speaking about is Luke 6.48. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not shake it. Because it was well built. We called this series Shimming Our Foundation. We are digging down deep, clearing away the rubbish, the refuse, the rubble, the redefining and the replacement ideas to the 12 Israeli foundations so that what we build is fit for the God of Shem. Fit for the God of Israel because He wants to dwell in what we have built. It must match the chief cornerstone and the capstone of an Israeli king named Jesus the Christ. Foundation number three was in January of this year. Out of Isaiah 37, 32. For out of Jerusalem will come the remnant. And out of Mount Zion, a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. See, we were talking about being a band of survivors. A band of victors. A band of brothers. But all of this is because this promise was to the twelve tribes. And it was prophesied to them first but also to us specifically as a church because we have become sharers in their promises. As long as there is a remnant of survivors, they and we can be sure that God will zealously perform what He has promised. 
That takes us to the fourth layer, which was in February of this year. We began speaking about master shipbuilders. Our text, you can see on the screen, was Exodus 31.1. Then the Lord said to Moshe, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, from one of those sweetest regions in the world. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Ohliab, son of Asimach, of the tribe of one of the countries in South America. To help him, also I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you. See, during this, we looked at how to master foundational elements of our shared Israeli faith. We wanted to work in teams because they worked in teams. We wanted to build something that honored the God of Israel and that he desires to be expressed through us. See, by March of this year, we were on to our fifth level of foundation out of Genesis 18, 19. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham that which he has promised. See, we have been chosen along with Israel to direct and guard to shamar the way of the Lord so that his promises will in fact come about. He chose one people, Israel, and it was a mystery that he also included us in this. Man, I love a good mystery. By the time we got halfway through the 12 levels of foundations, we were in April of 2019 and we found ourselves at the mountain with God's people, which is fitting since there were a few foreigners that were also at this mountain that get included in Israel. This was Exodus 19.3. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the house of and what you are to tell the people of. Now, listen, what is wrong with y'all that you can't say that? I, I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We are hammering this. Is it the God of Norway or is it the God of Israel? Is it the people of the nation of your choosing or is it the people of Jacob or Israel? See, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings. My goodness. He goes on to say, brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all of the nations, all the goyim, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the nation of your choosing. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. The people of Israel would be carried on eagles' wings. Now, the mystery was that we would be carried along with them, that we could become with them God's treasured possession, his kingdom on the earth. Like Israel, we learned during this series called Desert of Dependency. Like Israel, the desert of our difficulties is where his kingship is born and we are made kings with him. In May, we began to look and find a roadmap to revival that the Lord gave us. A roadmap that helps us to remember that the majority rules. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it, uh, from it like smoke from a furnace. 
the whole mountain trembled violently. The truth is, church, we've been grafted into an Israeli family with a long history of coming together in repentance that causes God to respond with heavenly fire so that we are never disadvantaged in any situation. By the time we reached June of this year, we were in number 621. We were talking about zero faith and no holds barred. This is the law of the Nazarite who vows his offering to the Lord in accordance with his separation. In addition to whatever else he can afford, he must fulfill the vow he has made according to the law of the Nazarite. Learning from the nation of Israel and the laws of the family that adopted us, we learn to hold nothing back, to have the faith to go to zero, to even be seen as a zero. This is our form of separation. This both makes us distinct and makes us dangerous because we no longer have anything to lose. The Lord is their vindication and He is our vindication. In July, we began to work on our family banners. Numbers 2. The Israelites are to camp around the tent of meeting some distance from it. Each man. Somebody say each man. Under his standard with the banners of his family. By focusing on the alignment and positioning of the 12 tribes of Israel around the tabernacle, we learn to focus our families. Somebody say our families. On the supernatural oat, the sign, the banner, the standard that will ensure the generations that follow us will achieve the purpose for which they were born. When you're talking about generations that follow, we then, in the month of August, went to Exodus 20, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. He said this to Israel. He said it to the Hebrew people. He said it to the twelve tribes. But as we move forward, we also looked at Romans 9.4. The people of Israel, theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs, the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. We were inspired that what God gave them made it as far as us. And we wanted to make sure that from us, it also went a thousand generations. Israel was adopted. You may not realize that, but it's what the scripture says. Israel was adopted and we have been included in that adoption. So that we share in a responsibility that God enumerated to them. To produce a thousand generations of those who would carry divine glory, covenants, law, and promises until Jesus Christ returns. In September, just last month, what we looked at was we found an all aboard series that showed the seven foundational waypoints. Our core principles of LCM. That every single service that we ever do is found in at least one of these seven principles. And as we continue to pattern ourselves after the nation of Israel, Israel, we have been included in what, and we found that these revelations that God has shown us over 17 years are supernaturally similar to the feast that He instituted by His plan in His land for His people. That took us to the One Association Conference. And all we've done is walk through 12 months here. The One Association Conference, we opened with Luke 5.39. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new. It's very interesting that Jesus is standing in what you think of as New Testament times saying this. For he says, the old is better. This was preaching about disciples creating disciples. This was preaching about becoming contemptible to this world because you're acceptable to God. We learn that even as Israel seems to have been crucified and died many times for the generations 
that were coming after them, so we must also, in order that the generations of Talmudim would come into the fullness of the resurrecting power of God, for we will all be saved, hear it, together as we complete God's work pictured in Revelation 21. It's not done yet. Just because it reached you doesn't mean that it's done yet. We have a responsibility to raise up disciples after us and the original people will join us as we have joined them and we will have one household. As we turn toward our closing... I want everyone in the room to turn to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to begin in verse 24. Matthew 7 and 24. Matthew 7, 24. Everybody needs to get there. It says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and... Puts them into practice. Wow. See, you've heard these words of ours today. But the point is not just that you're hearing the words, but that you are in your life. Thank you, Pastor, for reviewing the past 12 months. Yeah, the reason we're doing that is because it's more than just hearing the word. We're trying to remind you of what you should be putting into practice. Pastor, I can't help. We've been preaching about Israel. I love you. I don't just love Israel. When I look at Cho, I think of a promise given to Cho. Now, if time goes by and rubble accumulates and it looks harder to see how that promise will come about, does it make that promise less true? It doesn't. See, if I look over and I see anybody in the church that is given a promise and it hasn't yet happened... Are you tempted to reinterpret the promise? Well, maybe God meant this or maybe... Of course you're tempted to do it. But it's faithless. If God says it, that settles it. You have to fight for it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. See, church, one of the things that we've learned as your pastors that we are freely giving to you. We're trying to rally you. We're trying to move you and call you up to the standard. See, you can't build a foundation in a single day. But you have to build your foundation every day. Oh, amen. See, you think it is some act of ju- to be a juvenile to go back to the basics, to go back to the foundation every single day. We're saying it is the mark of every true man and woman of God who will stand the test of time. You go back to that foundation. You put it into practice. You look at it. You evaluate it. You judge everything that you are doing against the standards that have been clearly laid out in the foundations that God gave to His people, Israel. The rain came down. The streams rose. The winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Yeah, but pastor, I've seen some people and, and they fell. Do you know why they fell? It's because they did not listen and put into practice what God had said to them. Every time that you've sinned in your life, every time that you failed, it's because you failed to be building your foundation that day. It's because you failed to do what He's already told you to do. It did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man. You're a fool 
if you're sitting in this room and you are not trying to daily implement everything that we're telling you. This is what the Word says about it. You're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And oh yeah, it fell with a great crash. The house is an Israeli house. It's built by the God of Israel and the king of the 12 tribes. It's his word that establishes the house we're talking about. Speaking of rain coming down and waters that wash away things, rubbish, refuse, rubble, replacement, redefinition, will all wash away because those doctrines just don't hold water. They're faithless reinterpretations that are destined to fall. What is most dangerous about them is it invites you to reinterpret any promise God gave you when it looks like it's not happening. Jeremiah dealt with problems exactly like this. Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. Now there, you don't have any problem saying who my people are. There, my people is Israel. Well, let's give them that one, but none of the redemptive ones. I want to ask you today, you share in their promises. Do you share in these two sins? My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cistern, their own cistern, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. The house that stands is the one that is built on the foundation given to the 12 tribes, the old wine. No new cisterns. Not now, not ever. We stand on the original promises without reinterpretation, without redefining. All of that stuff is rubble. We've come to share together in their promises. We don't replace their promises. We share with them in their promises. A promise from God is never changed. How important is that to your practical life? See, what we want to do now is focus in on you. See, we've been talking about some pretty big concepts that we're trying to encourage you in to to clear the rubble away from your foundation so that you might be building correctly. But let's get down to it. What about you and your discipleship? What areas in your life have you allowed the rubble, the refuse to stay around you where you haven't been totally dedicated to the discipleship that God has placed you under? See, if you're keeping back areas, oh, oh, we're dedicated, Pastor. Yet, yeah, are you in a complete sense? In what areas are you holding back? Because those will be the areas that you remain undiscipled. That you allow the rubble and the refuse to stay around your foundations that will poison your building in the future. See, you may not be able to see it. Discipleship will cause you to be the best version of yourself that is even possible in the kingdom Because someone is there to help you to set your foundations rightly. See, we're saying amen, but there are, I can, I could point to him, pastor. I could call it out if that were the case of what we wanted to do today about the areas in your life that you're not given to discipleship. Please disciple me until I disagree with you. See, rubble, rubbish, reinterpretation, redefinitions getting in the way. Of what you said God told you. That you were supposed to be discipled. You see how these, these issues. We're not just talking eschatology. We're talking about every area of your life. Well of course you want to be led where you agree. That's not the issue. 
the issues where you disagree. Let's listen. He's talking about discipleship. Let's let's talk to the single people in the room. Have you given up on God bringing you a spouse? Have you decided that you must select one yourself? See, this is what happens. You redefine what God says. You redefine it and you cloud your life with rubble and trash so that you don't have to adhere to the original promise that God would bring you a spouse. So you go take one for yourself. It's true of disciples. It's true of singles. It's also true of marriages. Come on, wives. When the Bible says that you're supposed to be one with your husband, do you consider that rubbish? Do you consider that you need to redefine what that looks like? Because, uh, you know, pastor, that would only work, but my husband just doesn't make the right decisions all the time. So uh, the reason I'm not following is because, you know, I mean, it's his fault. Rubble, reinterpretation, redefinition. See, you've obscured what God said to justify your present position. Oh, I know, I know, Pastor. See, it's not so bad until he tries to correct me because who is my husband to correct me and what I'm doing? I hear from the Lord also. Clearly. This is rubble. This is refuse. You've replaced what God's word clearly says with something that is more palatable to your own spirit and to your own heart. How about in parenting? The word clearly says if you withhold discipline from your children, you hate them. Did you reinterpret that to say, well, um, it's my job to love them and to be friends with them. It's, I mean, I want them to like me. See, in every area, we can take something the word clearly says and we can put enough rubble and trash around it to shipwreck everybody. This is how the church world has gotten in the position that it has. What if God's word simply means what God's word says? What about our mandate to mature as each individual person in this room? (laughs) We've got some in here who've got enough refuse around their foundation. You're endlessly quoting the two principles that you know to be true, and you're ignoring. You're not adding on the other 142 that you need to be added to your life so that you're walking rightly. Wow, if you know two and you're missing 142, how many would you have all together if you could listen to discipleship? 144, 12 times 12. Maybe that's what God wants to build in you as a perfected city. It's, it's not just about discipleship. It's not just about maturity. It's not just about being single. It's not just about marriage. It's not just about parenting. How about words that God has given you like be in church? Are you pusillanimous? Are you cowardly? Is that word true until the day you woke up with a headache and then it's no longer true? Is that word true until it becomes difficult and you get a flat tire on the way to church? Is that word true until your circumstances cause you to go back and redefine what God told you? See, if God said it, stand on it. If he said it, never renegotiate it. If he said it, don't let faithless theologians talk you out of what God has said through an elaborate reinterpretive scheme. Church, have you decided that the 12 gates that we gave you? By the way, I pulled these out of my back pocket. See, we're not just assigning to you things that we don't actually do as your pastors. I have every one of the 12 gates listed amongst other things in this small stack that I keep with me. See, have you decided that you're only, oh, I got that. Pastor mentioned it on Wednesday. Man, Pastor Buddy was such a good teacher on Wednesday night. I got it. 
See, the truth is, have you decided that you're only going to walk through two of those identity gates? Man, I really like the one that says I'm a son. And I really like the concept of uh, being seated in heavenly places. Don't expect me to be clothed daily with him, though. Don't, Don't expect that. Don't expect me to be the temple of God that his dwelling place may be in. Don't expect me to act like a priest. See, we are before you today to not just encourage you. You can't build your foundation in a day. You have to build it every day. You have to be fully dedicated to these things. Are you allowing us as your pastors to outrun you? When you're considering building a foundation, not in a single day, but building it every day, nothing is more important than never moving your lines. Nothing. I mean, Elder Charlie has known me the longest in the room, and I could come right down to a singular lesson. Once God has said something, that line never, not at any time, ever moves. Incidentally, he also taught me to build a physical foundation. And you know the first thing that you do? Is you set up lines that are square to each other that never move. As soon as you get into reinterpreting, as soon as you get into, well, that probably, I mean, I know we thought that was square, but really you need to look at it from a different perspective The whole house gets fouled up beyond recognition. Speaking of fouled up beyond recognition, I'd like to talk to you for a second about methods of evangelism. Now, I don't want to soften what I'm about to say because I want it to hurt your feelings, okay? So if you're somebody who's prone to having your feelings hurt, then get ready. I'm doing it on purpose because I love you. Evangelism is as good as your discipleship follow-up, okay? But if you think evangelism does not involve discipleship, you have some bastardized method, something that is not biblical. There is no example of evangelism without discipleship in the Bible. That would be very much like a juvenile that is having a very self-gratifying experience, but he never produces conception. He never has a child to be discipled. He's entertaining himself. You're having a great time but you're not doing it in the way that foundational disciples are built. If you are an evangelist in this room, and there are men called to be evangelists in this room with gifting way beyond anything that is on this stage, we want you to ask yourself, where are your disciples? If there are not disciples, you're doing your evangelism wrong. That doesn't mean everything you're doing is wrong. It means that it's incomplete. You know two principles and we're trying to add another 142 to help you so that your life will be fruitful. I want to point everybody in the room. Where is John Dang? Stand up, John Dang. Maybe you should sit down with Elder John Dang. He rarely preaches on corners. I've never seen him handing out tracts anywhere, but he shares the gospel every single day and the disciples that he has won to the Lord are pastors in the one association today. Elder John is a good example. This doesn't mean don't hand out tracts. It doesn't mean don't preach on corners. It means that that is as only as good as the, the relationship of discipleship that comes from it. The rest is a juvenile expression of self-gratification. You feel good like you've done something, but you've not advanced the kingdom in any way. Advancement in the kingdom is done one life, one family, 
and one nation at a time. This is the house you were brought into, and you must learn that. Consider the baptism in the Holy Spirit for a minute. Come on, let's, let's start talking about the gifts of the Spirit for you here in this room. Are you comfortable moving in a particular gift, in a particular way? See, you were given a mandate to eagerly desire at least the nine spiritual gifts that are listed. Is it your desire, or do you just wait? If someone gives a prophecy in tongues, do you just sit there and be like, I hope somebody else has it? Or are you actively praying and saying, Lord, Lord, would you, would you let me hear what that interpretation is? Lord, can I give a word in tongues? Lord, Lord, what is it that you want? Lord, I'm desiring. I'm not only asking, but I'm starting to desire. There's a fire on the inside of me that I don't just talk about the Holy Spirit. That I'm not just around other people who have the gifts, but that I have an operation of the gifts of the Spirit as the Spirit is leading. The reason that we're doing these things, and we've hit some of them quite hard, and I hope you take it personally. I hope not just one of you takes it personally or two of you. I hope every one of you takes it personally. Okay, I mean, that, that's the God's honest truth. Is because we didn't ask to be. We were called to be your leaders. See, I, I mean, I, I didn't get a questionnaire that I filled out and then, you know, a guy with a funny hat shows up and appoints me this. Jesus Christ did. I didn't ask for it. It was a blessing. God gave us this. And you're supposed to consider the outcome of our way of life. Not, not how perfectly we said something. The outcome of it. Look around you. How was it built? I'm telling you how it was built. Say, so, well, I love it. I just disagree with you about these nine things. Well, then what you build won't look like this. Okay? Now, we're telling you these things not because we're mad at you. Because we love you. We're speaking frankly with you about them and in a public setting so that there's no misunderstanding, not for anybody in the room. If God told Gabby something the day that she came to this ministry and he did, it's just as true today as it was then. You don't know how important it is to be able to hang on to that. I got to tell you, in my life, there's more than 20 years between something God said and it coming about. And the only way I survived it was believing that there, he, he's not a shifting shadow. He doesn't change. It doesn't need to be in re, reinterpreted. Do you know how many times the devil lied to me and said, we're trying to set your footings. Like footings and a foundation on principles that will never move. Hebrews 12 says we're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. We are trying to challenge wives in the room with principles that will never be shaken. If you'll do them, your marriages will be good. We're trying to... Listen, if I'm talking to an evangelist, it's because we want fruit. We believe. We believe in you as long as you will do it Jesus' way. If we're talking to single people, it's because we know God wants you to be married. We know it. We just want you to be married to the one God chose, not some counterfeit. Okay? What you're hearing is not a theological message. It is that, but it's more than that. You're hearing the heart of pastors saying, God's promises can be trusted. You have to do it His way. Never deviate from His way. Not in any area. Not in a single person's life. Not in a married couple's life. Not in parenting. Not in discipleship. Not in any area. 
Because that's how you'll succeed in building God's house. Do you want to be God's house? The whole passage that pastor started everything with is a man had to dig down deep to find the bedrock. He had to clear away rubble. So, you know, you were talking redefinition. I don't have any of that. Well, I bet everybody in the room does in some places you don't know, but whatever. Clearly, there are things that you have to move out of the way to better stand on God's promise. He said something to you in time. Have you ever said, I'm going to fast for eight days? And on day four, you're like, you know, he didn't actually say eight days. You know, he told me to fast and I don't want to be all legalistic. Yeah, but for the previous four days, you said eight days. See, you start moving the ancient boundary stones and there is no limit to where it goes. You said you're going to fast eight days, fast eight days. You know why? If you can be talked out of it in day four, you can be talked out of anything. So, well, I don't know that God actually said that. I just said he did. Well, now you learn not to speak for the Lord so quickly. God wants to build something amazing through you. We're Gentiles, but we're his Gentiles. He loves us. Ohad came to me and said, I know how to close the service. I know how to close the service. Well, I preached too long to let Ohad close the service. So I'm going to tell you what Ohad had to say. He said, I was reading Hosea 14. And it's a promise that if Israel will come to grips and repent with their sins, hope is still possible. That's their promise. And you've come to share in that promise. With If you will repent of your sin, he will rush in and help you. Okay? Now, I think that in this room, there's some promises that you've let rubble get in the way of. I'm talking with my son this week, and he's renewing, clearing away rubble, redefining his foundation. He knows he's called to be a pastor. Are there words that were given you that you just have let become obscured with sand? Are there areas of your life, we listed seven of them, that have been cluttered up with rubble? This pastor, that pastor, the leader of this, leaders of this church, we want you to do well. I mean, that's, that's why we'll preach an hour and 26 minutes. We want you to do well. We didn't have something entertaining to say. We want you to do well. And it turns out they made us examples to you. It's not really the other way around. We're a very collegial group, but it's not. We're not supposed to pattern our lives after you. You're supposed to be looking at our lives. All of us are to pattern our lives after the word. But he set us as examples. I would have rather done a lot of things. But I'm giving my life to this so that your life will produce life. If you're offended with me, clear away that rubble here. I'm going to offend you many more times if you stay here. You know that. If you're offended with that man, that's, that's hard for me to understand. He's one of the most sincere human beings I've ever seen. I want to submit to you that you might should be offended with some things in your life, not ours. And that the altar is a good place for those things to die. And that when you stand up, you can focus on dusting off your foundations so that you can hold your head high and know that your family's building rightly. That's not just a matter of being stubborn. 
If you're not, if nothing changed in your mind during this service, you did not engage properly. Okay? That's the bottom line. You are members of this body. This is a word he gave to us and he attested to in a hundred different ways. If nothing changed in your mind during this service, then you floated through the service. You don't... It's what Psalm 36 says. You flatter yourself and you don't hate or detect your sin. You should be thinking before we get to our feet. What area did this attack in my life? So that you can come put it to death right here. Now, if you're a child in this room, your relationship with your parents is a reflection of you and the Lord. If you're married in this room, your relationship with each other is a reflection of you and the Lord. If you are a parent of children, you are seeing the results of your pastoring right there. There's plenty of areas for you to examine. If nothing was challenged, if nothing was changed, then you're probably just floating through existence here. And I'm not sure that's the way to hit the goal that Christ has called you to. Stand your feet so we can begin to pray together. Mighty God, as we open up these altars, Lord, we're asking that you help us to clear the rubble, the refuse, the replacement where we replace what you have said with any other version of what we call to be truth. Lord, that we've reinterpreted and redefined what you've actually said to us. Mighty God, help us now that we might realign ourselves with your foundations. That the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, who is also the capstone, Lord, that we might be in perfect alignment with you. Lord, forgive us for allowing rubble to stay in our lives. Forgive us to believe, for believing what we see instead of what you have clearly said. Align our hearts today, God. We must be rightly built upon your foundations. Lord, upon your foundation that you have given us. First to your people, Israel. And now that we get to share with them, Lord. Move our hearts today. Move our hearts, Lord. That we might rightly attach ourselves to what your word says. Help us today, mighty God. Lord, we don't need just another experience at an altar. We need to be changed by the power of your spirit. Lord, move upon us now. Let your grace, let your power, let your very face be seen in this place today. It is in Jesus' name.